Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Luke chapter 12, and while you turn there, I'll pray for us. Father, help us to make the most of our time together. Lord, whatever thoughts might go through our minds, whether they be sinful or just simple distractions about what we forgot to do this morning or need to do tomorrow, would you block those things out of our minds so that we could be fully present, so that we could focus? Lord, if there are issues in our life that we need to be thinking about so that we can bring your word to bear on these situations, uh, then certainly let those be present in our mind. Lord, we don't want uh, this time to be just gaining and gleaning mere propositional academic truth. We want there also to be a subjective experience of you taking the truth and applying it to our hearts. So fill us full in a fresh way, Holy Spirit. Take your word and make it speak to us personally. And slowly but surely would you conform us to the image of Christ. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 12 continuing to talk about worry, and think about this, uh, the problem. What is it in life right now? I think I've asked this a couple of times, but I'll ask it again. What is it in life right now that you're the most tempted to worry about? And it may be something really big and huge and overwhelming, seemingly, with your family. Or it may be something kind of small. Maybe you had a car accident, and you got to get the insurance adjuster to come look at it, and it's just frustrating. It's not the end of the world, but what is it you're most tempted to worry about right now. And then, and I don't want you to answer out loud, okay? I just want you to be really honest with yourself and your heart. What are you realistically, practically trusting in? Right? Because we all know the right answer, right? Anytime somebody asks a question in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. All right? Um, but we don't always live up to the knowledge that we have. So what is it that you're practically, at least tempted to trust in, whatever problem you're going through? And what we're going to see Jesus saying this morning is essentially... Worry flows from what you trust in. And it's wrong to trust in your own plans. It's wrong to trust in your own preparations. It's wrong to trust in your own provisions. So, it's wrong to trust in your own plans. Luke chapter 12, start in verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, we're kind of dropping in on some teaching of Jesus right in the middle, okay? But part of what he's doing, the Pharisees were amping up their attacks on Jesus. Jesus knew that his time walking the face of the earth was coming to an end and that his disciples afterward were going to be persecuted very greatly, sometimes even the threat and even eventually the death of their life. And so he's preparing them for that. He's warning them. Now, just think about it. If I was to say, if there's anything that you ought to worry about legitimately, what might it be? It would be something about your spiritual life. In fact, uh, you know the famous verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, um, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And I think Martin Lloyd-Jones has a sermon on that passage where he essentially says, if you want to worry about anything, worry about your relationship with God. Worry about your walk with God. I mean, that's the most important thing. That's where your mental energy ought to go. But Jesus is saying, even if you were going to be arrested 
and drug before the court and have to give a testimony. He's like, don't worry about that. Worst case scenario, worst day of your life. Don't worry about the worst situations in life. Why? Because he's saying, I'll be there. I'll give you what to say. And listen, this is not hypothetical. Go read the book of Acts. And so many of the sermons that we read in the book of Acts, they weren't on a Sunday morning behind a pulpit like we like to think. They were because somebody had gotten drug into court and they said, hey, you're being accused, you want to defend yourself. And Peter or Paul said, yeah, I'll defend myself. And they just share the gospel. So this, this was real. And what he's saying, now listen, this is going to be an important distinction for us to make this morning. What Jesus is not saying is that it's wrong to plan. You know, I have heard literally of certain very extreme, like off-the-chart, off-the-chain charismatic denominations, and they're like, it's sinful to prepare your sermons. You should just get up there, open the Bible, and just, you know, start talking. Now, that sounds about, for Presbyterians especially, we're like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of, right? We prepare everything. But what's their text, at least to back it up, which is funny, they do have a text for their argument, so they prepare their argument, is this text. Okay? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying it's sinful to prepare your sermon. He's saying, don't worry about worst case scenario. If somebody broke into your house tonight, arrested you, drug you to the court, and said, give a testimony for Christ right now, and you're like, oh, I don't know what to say, I'm so freaked out. Don't hypothetically worry about that situation even though it might be a realistic situation that it might actually happen to you sometime. Don't trust your planning. Trust God's plan. Okay? Now, in the middle of this, this is going to seem strange. This is one of those times where you're reading the gospel and you're like, how do these things actually go together? Look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So, so it's like Jesus is teaching about, hey, my followers... When things get really bad, you get persecuted, you get drugged into jail, don't worry about that. God will give you what to say. And somebody's like, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you. Me and my brother, daddy died, and he's trying to take all the inheritance. I mean, this is what teachers actually hate, right? This is, this is the danger of doing Q&A at the end. Is there some nutcase that's going to say, yeah, I got a question. doesn't have anything to do with what you've been talking about. doesn't have anything to do with the Bible, actually, right? But if you have a question like that, we would welcome it this morning, okay? <laughs> Verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Now, have you ever read, y'all familiar with this story? And have you ever wondered, why did Jesus answer that way? I mean, he almost sounds a little frustrated. Like, man, who made me a judge over you? And technically it's like, but you are a judge over him. Because you're Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. You're the judge of the whole earth. So what in the world is Jesus actually saying here? It could be, okay, that he can see into this guy's heart and that he knows that this guy is not really trying to divide the inheritance fairly, but he's trying to do it in some kind of sinful, manipulative way. Listen, when money gets involved in situations, it can get really weird, right? Maybe that's what's going on with Jesus. Maybe Jesus just said, hey, I didn't come to earth to settle petty inheritance squabbles. I came to do bigger things like die for the sins of the world. But more than likely, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus has been teaching a principle about don't worry about the future. Don't worry about worst-case scenarios. And specifically, his context, his application was, if you're one of my followers and you get snatched away in the middle of the night, don't worry about being a coward. The Holy Spirit will meet you in that moment and tell you what to say. Right? There's the, princi- there's the principle, don't worry about the future, don't worry about worst-case scenarios. Uh, situations. The application is 
Don't worry about being a coward under persecution. And this guy says, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not worried about being a coward. I always speak up. I'm not afraid to speak up for what I believe in. In fact, I'm going to do it right now publicly. I believe my brother ought to share the inheritance with me, and he's not doing it. And Jesus is saying, you missed my main point, man. You missed the principle. You listened maybe to my application, but you missed the principle. The principle was don't worry about the future. Don't worry about worst-case situations. Not if the application is about being a coward and not if the application is about coveting. You see what I'm saying there? The guy was saying, I'm, I'm not thinking about being a witness. I'm a great witness. I just want some money. And Jesus says, same principle applies. And this, guys, this is a side note, but I think it's an important one for us sometimes. When we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, I mean, think about this. The Bible, in one sense, you're like, it's a really long book. Another sense, when you think about what it's supposed to be, everything we need to know for life and godliness, it's an incredibly short book, is it not? It's not like 16 volumes. And so it packs in a lot of principles, and we have to have the wisdom to apply it broadly in all the different scenarios of life. And this guy was not doing it. So Jesus is saying, you missed what I was trying to say. Don't worry about the future. Not if it has to do with money. Not if it has to do with witnessing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about worst case scenarios. What if, what if your parents die and you get into a big squabble over money? Don't worry about that. God will meet you there. He'll help you. That's the first point. Second point is this. Don't trust in your preparations. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So he probably, because this guy asked a question about coveting, Jesus says, well, let me mention that. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We could have said the first point was don't worry in the best of times. And the second point is, I mean, excuse me, if the first point is don't worry in the worst of times, the second point is don't worry in the best of times. Here's another life principle, guys, and you can apply it in all different kinds of ways. But let's just use money because maybe this is the most applicable. If you can't learn to be content with a little, you will not be content with a lot. Right? Because if you really believe in the sovereignty of God and you're like, well, I have a little, great. Then learn to be content with the little that God has ordained you. Because even if you win the lottery or whatever through hard work in the American dream, you become a millionaire, guess what? You won't be content then. And, and, and you guys know this, but it's easy to forget. Compared to most of the people throughout planet Earth today and throughout history for the last thousands and thousands of years, Everybody in this room, and I don't even know your, I don't I know your bank account. I don't know anybody's bank account. Barely keep up with mine. We are like crazy rich. You realize that? Somebody was here last week and asked a great question about, hey, going out to eat with your family, and you know, we talked about splitting an entree or not. You realize people in the slums of India—that's never an issue. 
Are we going to split an entree tonight or not, honey? So, I'm just saying. And listen, hear this. It's not sin to be rich. Which one of us was a disembodied soul in heaven, and God said, where would you like to be born? And like, put me in America in the 21st century. God put us here. It's not sin to be rich. It is sin. It can be sin what you choose to do with it, right? Okay. But, but our point for today is this. Money, and listen, blessing in any area of your life won't take away your worry problem. You can apply this one broadly in any different kind of context. Okay. Um, why? This man's plan, I mean, let's just think, at a very human, secular level, this is a pretty good plan. Right? He's a farmer. I own a bunch of land. We take care of the land. It produces the crop. We store it. We eat it. We sell it. But then things go so well, I can't store it all. Well, you know what? I should tear it down. I should build bigger barns. I should save everything. And I'm going to get so rich, I won't have to work anymore. Guys, this is a type of the American dream today, right? The retirement dream. Just say, and listen, I'm not saying all retirement sin. Just hang with me here. I'm going I'm to earn enough. I'm going to save enough. And then I'm going to enjoy it. That's not a bad plan. But here's why it's not a great plan. Because it might not work. I have a buddy who's a financial planner in Atlanta. And he said, and he's my age and stage, he said one of the saddest things is that some of his clients, he's like, and, and these, these, are, these are like the good kind, these are the kind of people you want to be your next door neighbor. He said, these are hardworking, faithful Americans that have helped like produce this good society that we have. They work hard. They don't spend a lot. They save up. They're good people. They save a lot. They plan to retire. And they get to about 65. It's time to retire and go get the yacht. And then one of them gets cancer and is dead in six months. Just a tragedy. If, if what you were really living for was 10 or 20 or 30 years of retirement, right? If you set your hopes on that, it's a really bad plan. Okay. Now, but you're like, well, that's a gamble. It might work out, right? I mean, we hear all the time about people that they retire early at 55 and they live to be 85 and they're healthy and they get to travel the world and Europe and boats and the whole nine yards. Like, yeah, it might work out at the human level. At the spiritual level, it never works out. Again, not against taking a vacation. Notice what God says to this man, fool. You know what the word fool really means in the Bible? It's when you live like a practical atheist. You may say you believe in God, but practically your choices say, I don't even believe there's a God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I'll do whatever I want. There's no accountability. This guy is living like a fool. He's a practical atheist. The goal of life is to be rich towards God. Please, listen, it's not sin to be rich. It's not sin to work hard. It's not sin to have plans and preparation. Some people, when they hear a parable like this, you know, their application is like, I'm not going to save anything. 401K is of the devil. Insurance is for people that don't have faith. I'm not doing any of that. And you know, some people actually do that. And it seems really spiritual in the moment. And they get terribly sick. And you know who's not paying for them? Is their children or something. And they cripple their children's finances. 
Listen, there's nothing wrong with having a 401k and insurance and a financial planner and all that kind of stuff. The point is just don't trust in those things. Don't hope in those things. Don't, don't even make that your main goal. It's a secondary goal. What's my main goal? To be rich towards God. I mean, we could say, well, what should have this guy done? Well, it, at minimum, he should have given a lot of it away. Don't have to give all of it away, but there's no mention of, hey, I made a lot of money. Maybe I should give some to the temple. Maybe I should give some to the poor. Okay. Um, so, worry doesn't work in the best of times. It's not going to help you. Worry in the best. It's funny. Uh, there's a lot of money in America. Y'all know this, right? And, and I have friends that have like astronomical amounts of money. Like I'll be in some kind of Bible study or accountability group where they're sharing, not from an arrogant, like from a just a, I started making this much, I don't know what to do with it. And I'm like, man, I could help you figure out what to do with it, right? <laughs> but the point is, some of them, some of them are really godly, and they don't, but others, they're racked with fear, racked with worry. Because it's like the goals just go up of all the things they think they have to do, they have to have. Worry doesn't really help you in the best of times. It doesn't help you in the worst of times. And the third point is really this, guys. Worry won't work in the mundane times either. Don't trust in your plans. Don't trust in your provisions. But don't, I mean, yeah, don't trust in your provisions. That's our last point. Okay, look at verse 22. Luke 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor anxious about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? It's kind of like Jesus said, hey guys, let me tell you something. It's sin to worry in the morning, it's sin to worry in the afternoon, and it's sin to worry at night. And you're like, uh, then when are we allowed to worry? It's like, exactly, never. And here's the other thing, guys, and this is a huge biblical principle, but Jesus is getting at it right here. It's not just that sin is evil. It's not just that sin is immoral. It, it is. Sin is also stupid. It just doesn't work. It always backfires. It's a waste of time. Right? So if you're like, I'm still new to this whole Christianity, Jesus, Bible thing. I'm not whole sure of what I think about all this spirituality. How are you with logic? Okay? It's just worry is dumb. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It hurts you. It never helps you. It's not a good thing. Never worry. And guys, the key, the key, the key is verse 24. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. You're like, the key is to look at birds? No, that, that's an application. Here's the key, the last sentence. Of how much more value are you than the birds? If you're a Christian, God likes you. He loves you. He chose you. He adopted you. 
He's not going to play games with you so he can hurt you and mock you. He's got you. So you rest. When that sinks into the basement of your soul, you rest. I rarely read a book twice. Read the Bible twice, okay? But one of my favorites is The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Any of you ever read that one? Okay, if you haven't, you should read it. Okay, if you're like, I need to read more books by women, this is for you, okay? I need to read more books by dead people, this one's for you. I need to read more books by non-Americans, this one, the list goes on. People that suffer, mission or whatever. She lived in Europe during World War II. They were a godly family that was trying to hide and protect Jews from being killed. They got found out. Her and her father and her sister went to the concentration camps for years. Her father and sister died there. She made it out. And it's, it's an amazing story. Here's what she said. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. Okay, you, sh- you should memorize this quote because it rhymes. It's easy, right? Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Right? I mean, when, when you're worried about something's coming up tomorrow and I've got to have a great plan and I've got to prepare, and you're worried, what are you trying to do? You're trying to, I want to get all the pain out of tomorrow. I'm going to think about it so hard. I'm going to plan so hard. I'm going to be so prepared. All the bad stuff is coming out of my life tomorrow. Done work. Done work. All it does is make today worse. You know, I've shared a little bit about my wife, and again, she knows that I share about her, okay? She's okay with this. But especially when our kids were little, and I was traveling a lot, she would say, it would be funny, like if I was going to be gone the whole weekend, she'd say, I realize what I do is like you're here Monday through Thursday, and you're helping me with the kids, and everything's going smoothly. She said, but I start thinking about what's it going to be like on Friday when I pick up those four little munchkins. And he's not here all weekend to help me. And she says, and I start worrying and I start anticipating. And what I realize is, like, Tuesday, I'm already tired. (laughs) Although everything's wonderful. And by Wednesday, it's like I'm in a bad mood. And Thursday, it's like I'm sad and overwhelmed. But everything's great. And she said, and here's the thing is, she said, every once in a while, not often, but every once in a while, you're gone. And the kids actually are good the whole weekend. And it's a fun weekend. It's like... I basically worried Tuesday through Thursday worrying about how bad the weekend was. You understand the point? Guys, here's three reasons not to worry. It's sinful, it's stupid, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't even work. Right? I mean, if somebody said, I'm planning on robbing a bank, you could say, don't do it. It's sinful, it's stupid because you got like a 98% chance of getting caught in today's America. You tried to rob the bank. And you're like, yeah, but there's a 2% chance it might work. <laughs> Maybe, you know, again, still don't rob the bank. But worry, it never works. It's never helpful. It always backfires. Mr. Owen, could you repeat that quote? Yes, 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 yes. Corey Tim Boone. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Now, guys, at the very end, look at what Jesus says. Verse 25 again. I just love this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Imagine if next week, guest Sunday school teacher, sorry, Clay, you get bumped from leading the, the prayer time. Jesus Christ walks in. Beard and robe and sandals right here. Special appearance for y'all. And he calls you out personally. 
says, hey, I'll give you a personalized prophecy just like I gave Peter. He says, here it is. You're going to live to be 84 years old, three months, seven weeks, two days, eight hours, 31 minutes, 58 seconds. He just, so you're just like, wow, I get my birthday out. Hey, Mom, exactly when was I born? And you calculate it, and you know the day of your death. And you're like, thank you for that prophecy, Jesus. I'm going to try my best to work hard, plan hard, eat healthier. I'm going to start exercising the whole nine yards just to try to stretch it out to 59 seconds, make it a little bit longer. You think he's going to be impressed? Like if you start eating more broccoli, it's going to help? Right? He's like, hey, I'm taking you home whenever I want to take you home. Broccoli or no broccoli. Now, you should probably eat your broccoli. But the point is, nothing that we do, and certainly not worry, is going to help make our life longer. And Jesus says, if you can't do that, if you can't even add like an hour to your life, what makes you think you can do anything else? I just told you about a rich dude who was so rich and so powerful. He had these great retirement plans, and he couldn't even guarantee those because you might die tonight. Okay, so... If to any degree any one of us is trusting in our plans, our hands, you're going to be worried. Now listen, here's the problem if we just stop here. And again, sometimes you, I, I might say don't go in this direction and you're like, who's dumb enough to go in this direction? College students, okay? No offense, Hensley, okay, but I just, you know, not you, but the other college students I've been working with for 24 years. They're like, man. I mean, based on this, I'll never plan again. I don't have to study for my test tomorrow. Right? God will just... It's like bad application. I mean, and just, you've got to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. Think about the Proverbs that says, look at the ant. I mean, Jesus here says, look at the raven. But the Proverbs say, look at the ant. He stores away food in the summer for the winter. It's good to plan. It's good to store. It's good to save. Paul said, if somebody won't work, Don't even let that guy eat. Not if he can't work. If he can't work, let that guy eat. But if somebody's a lazy bones and they're trying to blame Jesus for it, man, I'm just trusting Jesus in faith. He's going to make some manna up here or something like that. It's like, don't give that guy anything to eat. He'll get, eventually he'll go work. He'll get hungry enough. Let, Let me give this example, okay? I'll go back to the whole bank robbery thing. Imagine that six people had all been arrested for a bank robbery. But they're all saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And they're going into court, and you're the court interviewer, and you're asking them, how do you think the trial is going to come out? And they all say, I think we're going to win. And then your next question is, why do you think you're going to win the trial? And you ask them, and they all have a different answer. The first guy says, you know what? I have a genius lawyer. I have emptied my bank account, hired this genius lawyer. He's going to get me off. This guy's Johnny Cochran Part 2, whatever, okay, whoever that genius lawyer is. The other person's like, I don't know how this happened, but I saw the jury pool, and it's like filled with my friends. I trust the jury. I'm getting off. Third person just said, hey, I'm innocent, man. I know that I'm innocent. My innocence will just proclaim itself. I'm getting off. Fourth person says, I love America, baby. I believe in our justice system. It will work. It's fair. I'm getting off. Next guy would say, My lawyer, we came up with such an interesting strategy, I'm sure they'll listen. Sixth guy would say, I just respect the judge. You understand my point? They're all saying, I'm convinced I'm going to get off, but they all have a different ground of their confidence. 
They all have a judge. They all have a strategy. They all have a lawyer. They all have a, uh, you know, jury. Some of them even share some of the same things. But they're trusting in something different. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to prepare a sermon or a Bible study or whatever you're doing, study for your test. It's just wrong when your ultimate ground of confidence is put in that thing. Because when your ultimate ground of confidence goes into any of your planning, any of your provisions, any of your preparations, it will always lead to worry. Psalm 20, verse 7, many of you are familiar with that verse. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will hope in the name of the Lord our God. We will trust the name of... It's not wrong to have a horse and a chariot. You're going into battle. Just don't trust in it because your horse might get killed. I think last week I shared the story about one of my children made a stupid decision. My wife and I had to make a hard decision in light of it. Okay, We really prayed. We really sought counsel. As with so many things, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's the worry ditch. Oh! And then there's the lazy, laissez-faire, quesarasara, whatever it will be, will be. It doesn't matter, ditch. Don't go to that ditch either. Do your best. Plan, prepare, but then just don't hope in your best. I had a friend of mine, a guy I used to work for Campus Outreach, and he said, when I'm having to make a big decision, he said, I do a pro-con list. I really think all the pros, all the cons. And then he said, and then I throw it away, and I just pray, and I trust the Lord to guide me. That's a good picture of this. Let me give you all another illustration. Um, my guess is most of us are somewhat familiar with the Church of Christ living up here. Okay, I got real familiar with Church of Christ when I used to live up here. And at one point, uh, there were a couple of guys. I think they were both maybe teachers at Mars Hill, if I'm remembering this right. This is 20-plus years ago. And, and they heard about Church of Christ students coming to Christ at UNA. They didn't like it. So they figured out Campus Outreach, and they wanted to talk to me. So me and another guy went to have coffee, debate at the Joe Muggs over there, Books A Million, okay? Uh, and we talked for hours. And there was a young, in my opinion, very arrogant guy, and, and I would say very dogmatic, kind of like hyper-conservative in the Church of Christ world, which I don't think is a good thing. And then there was an older, seemingly wiser, more humble, and in the Church of Christ world, more of a liberal Church of Christ, which... Ends up being a good thing. And so at the very end, I mean, we, we debated so many different things. But I got to the very end. I said, let me just ask you all one question. One question. I said, if both of you all died tonight and you're standing before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Right? It's like, that's just old EE question. And the first young, arrogant, ultra, he starts listing off all this stuff. Well, I was baptized by immersion and... I don't cheat on my wife. I mean, just listing out all his good works. And I let him get through about five or six. I said, well, in my opinion and the way I understand the Bible, you're not a Christian. You're going to hell. Okay? Now, we've been... I, don't, I, 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 I never start that way, right? But we've been talking for like five hours at this point. So I was like... So I'm just, I'm just saying... Maybe I'm wrong, but here's my opinion based on the Bible. And, uh, and then I said, I'd like to hear his answer. And he said, in that moment, when I'm standing before God as judge, the only thing I will hope in is the blood of Christ for my soul. And I said, brother, in my opinion, you may be confused about a lot of other doctrines, but I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> and then his younger buddy got mad. How can you read? And I was like, I'm leaving at this point. Y'all can debate. <laughs> and why am I sharing that illustration? Because the, the guy, at least in my memory, that was young and arrogant and all that, and a works-based guy, a lot of the stuff he was listing off, I've done too. I grew up Baptist. I got baptized by immersion. 
I don't cheat on my wife. I mean, there were a lot of things. I read my Bible every day, right? But I don't trust in those things. And neither should you. Imagine if you were a tightrope walker and you're doing a big performance trying to walk the tightrope. You want to do your best, right? You don't want to make a fool of yourself. But you got a safety wire. So if you fall, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You'll be a little embarrassed, right? Your next show, I don't know, maybe you'll get more people to come see you because they want to see somebody fall, right? But you're not terrified you got a safety wire. If we're in Christ, we have the safety wire of Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. This is where you have to be careful. I think I mentioned this last week. He even works my own sin in the long run to my good. Now, if I ever use that on the front end of sin to justify sin, then you are a fool, and so am I. Remember last week's sermon. Sin is always very painful. But on the back end, when you're struggling with doubt and fear and condemnation, it's a great verse to come for yourself. Because it's true. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ, guys. I mean, when he went to the cross, it was the worst of times. And the burden was literally on his back. But in some sense, he went to the cross looking to the Father. Trusting in the Father. Hoping in the Father. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was very faithful to do his part. But there was also this attitude of dependence that we also should have. I mean, he had the perfect plan to die, to rise, and to justify his people. And guys, now he's in heaven making the perfect preparations for us. So I can take my preparations for life a lot less serious. Be faithful, do your part. But it's like my Savior has gone ahead of me to prepare a perfect place for all eternity. And I'm going to feast with him in his house. I don't have to worry. In the best of times, the worst of times, the mundane times, the in-between times. He's taking care of everything. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. You're such a good Savior. You're such a wise Savior. You're such a beautiful Savior. You're such a kind Savior. You're such a genius Savior. Your words are so powerful. Things spoken 2,000 years ago in a very concrete context, they still apply today in a radically different context. You are the judge of the world. And we're grateful that you're our brother, you're our Savior, you're our Lord, you're our Master. You're the one that feeds us, that clothes us, that works all things together for our good. Help us live faithfully this week. We pray all this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.